This. This is, this is diversified, diversified, diversified game, game, game. game. A podcast giving entrepreneurial advice from a diverse and inclusive perspective with Kelly. He may agree, he may oppose, and it's more than just race, it's about, you know, ideas. So, let the game begin. Hey, it's Kellen, and today on Diversified Game, I'm bringing you some game that you use from all over the world. I have Brother Eugene. Now, in the African diaspora news element, or, or just the whole atmosphere, I mean, he's talked with, you know, Ambassador Ari Khanna. He knows the people because he does business with the people locally. He does shipping. He also does some stuff in agriculture, and I don't even think you can say all of the businesses in the business. Well, Eugene, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Thank you, brother. I appreciate it, brother Colin. Uh, 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 thank you for having me as one of your show guests this afternoon, and uh, definitely delighted to uh, be a part of your network here. Well, yeah, you know, all I do is talk about business and I find stories like yours that, you know, when people probably look at you, they would not imagine you do everything that you do. They probably say, oh, man, what does this brother do? Where does he work? What not? Not knowing that you run multiple businesses and, and I get the same vibe. So, you know, I definitely want you to come on and talk about, you know, how you make you, your money as well as other people money in shipping and all the you know different farming and agricultural things that you do. So please uh, give a, uh, a insight on how did you get started? Because you've been doing it for you know over a decade. Oh yeah, for sure, brother. You know it comes to uh, one of my professors uh, out of Howard University, uh, gentleman by the name of uh, Paul F. Williams, and he was with the School of Business. This was way back in the '90s. And uh, at the time when I first started going to school, you know, didn't really have any type of uh, career direction at first, just wanted to get the basics out the way of what they want you to uh, know uh, at the university. And uh, later on, you know, I was just doing odd jobs, uh, working in DC, uh, you know, it's a very political uh, charge atmosphere there. So, a lot of the companies that I worked for had to do with litigation, uh, working at law firms and economic firms and stuff like that. So later on down the line, uh, after I started getting kind of acclimated with what I wanted to do career-wise, and this came around, I would say, 1992, uh, 93, uh, had started looking at uh, import exporting and so the Howard University had offered a course at the time to get people trained for freight forwarding jobs and so I took the course and of course at the time like I met uh, Professor Paul F. Williams uh, he kind of got me on to got me hip to the industry and he said we're going to take uh, some baby steps but I'd like to mentor you to get you engaged in what's happening on the international arena and it's not just a part of the logistics that's involved but the overall aspects of international trade and so um, one of my first volunteer jobs that I did was with the 
DC Chamber of Commerce. And I worked for them for a couple of years, just doing some volunteer work while I worked other, while I worked my real job. And uh, of course, Paul F. Williams, he became uh, the chair of the International Trade Committee. And so he brought me on as a co-chair person to oversee the Caribbean nations. And of course, through that means, I was able to get myself acclimated with how many of the governments work on a international scale and particularly to international trade, import exporting, uh, tariffs and customs and things of that nature. And so that took me a little bit further down the line. Um, eventually I just started out import exporting goods and products from some of the places that I would travel to. And that brought a pretty good income for me. But after a while I started uh, looking at how the logistics of everything kind of operated with all that and uh, started looking at some of the income opportunities that uh, th those different sectors uh, were producing. And I was like, wow, it's a lot of money to be made. And uh, of course, uh, over the years, just was able to get with the right people at the right time uh, that mentored me to help me grow to the next level. And, um, you know, just started out as a mom and pop operation. Uh, my primary company, Exquisite Import Export Trading Company, and we incorporated the operation as a freight management company, FMCs. They were just coming into play, uh, and it was a business entity that was actually created uh, during the Reagan administration. And uh, prior to that, uh, most companies had to go to one individual company uh, to obtain services like uh, either the trucking, either the freight forwarding, if they need customs, if they need warehousing, distribution, the list goes on. Uh, but with the actual makeup and detail entity of a freight management company, you were able to offer customers uh, a wide variety of services under one umbrella. And... Um, I formed uh, Exquisite Import Export Trading Company in 1989. Uh, we incorporated, uh, incorporated it in uh, 1994, 95, somewhere around in there, and uh, became a corporation. And that's when I knew uh, we were starting to obtain more and more business opportunities with my first business partner and I, uh, and just kind of evolved from there. Uh, that exquisite import export trading company. We also do business under the name of the acronym ETC Logistics uh, USA. And so uh, that's kind of how we got started. So now uh, here it is uh, 2020, uh, still chugging along, uh, been through many ups and downs with uh, just owning and operating a business uh, of its size. Um, like I said, we started out as a mom and pop operation. First, we weren't doing any more than about 30000 a year. Now we do a little over 600000 a year, and it's been as high as 900000 over over the last 15 years. Um, but the growth, uh, in, as opposed to the net, has changed drastically over the last three years since uh, a lot of stuff has changed with the economics uh, in the country. So, uh, with that, a lot of our cargo that we were importing 
uh, and exporting or big machinery. Uh, we contract with many of the uh, manufacturers and distribution centers up and down the East Coast. Uh, we have about 100 companies that we service and uh, we offer a wide variety of services ranging from uh, trucking, freight forwarding, warehousing. Uh, we also provide logistics management services, uh, cargo tracking uh, when you have certain types of shipments going overseas using RefI systems. And of course, we're linked into many of the large platforms worldwide uh, that gives us an opportunity to grab business for uh, our type of business and industry. Well, you said a lot and, and you do a lot. I want to know how nervous were you when you started this from Howard University? And when you were going to Howard, I know Howard was rough. It's not the Howard that people see now because I remember coming from Oakland going, doing a college tour, and I said, Howard, man, they, you know, it looked like a straight-up movie. <laughs> yeah. So, so, you know, how nervous were you when you're shipping things, not just, you know, from one place in the country to the other side, but you're shipping things to Africa, to Asia, and whatnot, and people are relying on you. I can only imagine that, you know, there's a nervousness, especially in the beginning of how do I make sure we don't lose this package? Because packages mm -hmm, get mm -hmm. lost every day, B. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, when I first started out, you know, uh, yeah, it was by trial and error as well. You know, it's something that you have to kind of grab the bull by the horns and uh, try to jump in there. Uh, of course, uh, immediately after I graduated, I was able to obtain my freight forwarders license, and you it's a process where you have to go through a vetting process through the Department of Transportation, uh, and you get you either your ocean carrier or uh, international air cargo uh, freight forwarding transportation license, and of course, I opted to just go with the ocean, but uh, it's a very lucrative indus industry. And, uh, you know, just to kind of give you a general idea of some of the things that uh, a freight forwarder is involved with every day, you know, it goes through the process of getting the cargo paperwork prepped and ready uh, for shipping. Uh, there's a due diligence process to uh, find out what type of uh, tariff that may be attached to the actual product uh, and then coordinating it with uh, overseas customs or uh, customs here, domestic customs to get the product cleared. And then if it's a food product or something to do with agriculture, you know, you want to make sure that you go through the right avenues uh, to get clearance by USDA or Food and Drug Administration to have those type of products enter into the country and making sure that it's a safe product for, uh, especially if it's a consumer uh, type of product. Uh, but yeah, you know, it's been many challenges for us uh, over, you know, the last 25 years since I've been in the business and I've actually uh, been challenged with uh, sometimes on the verge of uh, complete bankruptcy, <laughs> just based on how the industry wow. goes. But the industry is uh, highly affected by fuel prices and that goes to, you know, diesel fuel that is used to... Uh, you know, energize a lot of the steamships. 
let me let me ask you because I have a young man here, seventeen. He's he's off camera. He you know he's um, a great, excellent you know, student. And is this something that someone who you know they say, okay, I want to go to college, but I want to start making some money right now. Is there any age limit, or is there a financial barrier? What were the steps for someone who's about to be 18 who says, look, I want to ship things worldwide too and, you know, make money from my dorm room, from my apartment, from wherever. Mm -hmm. Is that possible? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. You know, uh, there's many avenues how you can get involved into import-exporting. And uh, when I first started, uh, like I said, I would travel to different countries and many of the countries where we have uh, I saw a need or a gap uh, such as, you know, say like automotive parts, and it could be either used or new automotive parts going to the Caribbean islands, uh, many of the places they don't have easy access for uh, getting, you know, supplies like that over. So uh, when I first started, you know, we started out as an automotive uh, export operation where we would go to salvage yards or just purchase uh, parts and stuff like that and ship them overseas to different places. And then in turn, when I would travel there, you know, I would buy up a bunch of stuff ranging from art to, you know, furniture, uh, clothing, uh, you name it, and bring it back here and had a pretty good market of my own for uh, many of the things that were being manufactured and supplied uh, at some of the places where I used to travel. But other than that, you know, uh, since we've been in operation for the last 25 years, just been making bona fide connections, um, mostly with government uh, agencies that we kind of uh, approach first uh, to see what the trade atmosphere looks like. And then also uh, kind of get a feel of what's needed uh, in many of the countries in which we uh, are now operating out of. And that's kind of how we got in. Uh, got our foot in the door. And so, you know, a 25-year relationship has been built out and we have uh, customers from the Caribbean islands uh, all the way over to Africa and which we've been servicing now for uh, about 25 years now. Now, you said some key words, what's needed. So if somebody, like I say, this young man, and if he wants to, he can come jump on camera anytime, right? He's shaking his he's shaking his head. Now I'm not I'm not not ready for that. He didn't get his cut. Um, what if someone is interested in like niche type things? Maybe it's um, video games. Maybe it's healthcare products. Do you kind of have to be flexible where you have to just ship whatever is needed, or can you hone in on those certain contacts and say, I just want to be the guy who brings you know entertainment or PPE or or, or whatever. You know, mm -hmm. tell tell me, how, can you be selective or is it just? Yeah, I mean, the import export industry is wide open, both for product and service. And, uh, you know, the extraordinary thing about it is if you know that you have a niche market in uh, certain countries, uh, yeah, you know, you can begin to infiltrate that by, you know, having product ready to be sold right there on the ground from, you know, cosmetics to hair care products, you know, really big demand uh, in, in a lot of the uh, Afro nations in which I'm operating out of. And, uh, you know, everything from automobiles to construction materials, 
building materials, man, you name it, that it, uh, is, is needed out there. And it's a big industry, it's wide open. Uh, one of the things that we've been working with, former uh, First Lady, uh, former Ambassador Eric Canna of the African Union, uh, is to bridge the gap between international trade and the Afro diaspora. And right now, Africa itself, uh, prior to the COVID epidemic, uh, had been pushing for the jumpstart of the African Industrial Revolution. And uh, just being a part of that, uh, you know, you can really see where the revenues uh, will be generated from the international trade, uh, since a lot of the nations now are getting rid of the barriers uh, that they've had between one another, especially in the Echoist regions of Africa, the economic communities of West Africa, uh, beginning to lower the boundaries that have kept them divided for so many years through neo-colonial powers. And so we know that right now they're using the same model as the United Arab Emirates uh, to jumpstart the revolution. And this will bring forth uh, a lot of jobs and uh, economic development for, for many of the nations there in Africa right now. What type of projections are expected with a company like yours that does uh, shipping with Africa, you know, on the boom? And, you know, what it is, is these old leaders, you know, getting out, <laughs> getting, you know, folks who actually know how to use computers, um, especially in, you know, those Equat regions. Um, mm -hmm. It's time for some new blood. And, I, and it's really like, uh, you know, the gold rush back in the day. That's where mm -hmm. we're at. Where, mm -hmm you can grab, you know, a piece of the market, w what type of, you know, um, is it in the billions? Is it in the, you know, tens oh, of billions? Sure. With, yeah, yeah, with the jumpstart of the African Industrial Revolution, you know, you're talking about trillions of dollars that are going to be generated. And, you know, arranging uh, infrastructure, telecommunications, you know, there's uh, all kind of uh, product skills and resources that are needed from the diaspora right now to really make this thing work. And uh, one good thing about it, by being uh, a, a person of uh, African culture uh, and in the diaspora, you know, we've had the opportunity to really get ourselves educated uh, to see where there are open opportunities are in Africa. And so it's going to be a lot of business that we'd be able to make and produce for ourselves uh, as a collective people and also individually. You know, you can do as small as a company could earn anywhere between 25000 all the way up to a few million, depending on what industry uh, part of the sector uh, that you want to be in as far as international trading is concerned. So. Okay. And, and you are somebody, I mean, you've been doing this. You know, folks will get confused because they'll see you and they'll say, he said 89. Wait, hold on. You know, was, wasn't he nine in 89? Um, but you have extensive, you know, travels too to Africa. Can you talk about your travels and any investment in the countries that maybe you've invested in personally and mm -hmm. why? Mm -hmm. For sure, for sure. Well, like I said, you know, just being Mr. International, you know, it allowed me to open up and broaden my uh, horizons as far as uh, being engaged in a lot of the activity pertaining to international trade and logistics and also looking at some of the new opportunities. So with my connections that I have right now, mostly are in 
uh, South American region, which is Guyana, Suriname, uh, also in Colombia. And I also have some contacts in Brazil that I've been working with over the years and uh, on the west coast of Africa, from Morocco all the way down to Z uh, Zambia, Nambia, uh, in the Angola region. You know, we've been doing some international trading uh, with many of the companies, brothers and sisters in that area. And uh, for the most part, uh, from the, I've got into agriculture back in 2010 and uh, did an offspring company by the name of Talford Guyana Agro Industries. And we basically started looking at uh, some additional ways to bring income in. So I got into oil palm farming. And so with those regions that I'm connected with, uh, sort of a, a bi bilateral trade system that we operate under. Uh, I'm able to get oil palm and in turn, I, I'm able to gather up uh, many of the things that uh, uh, a lot of our, our customers want to import into their country, ranging from, you know, like I said, automobiles to clothing, you name it. And have you done any land investment or built, you know, any any homes? Because I, I always try to tell people, you might love visiting Africa, you might love to invest, but some folks, you know, they, they may not want to live there, and that's per perfectly fine as long as you're contributing. You may be like, you know what, I'm comfortable being in wherever place I'm mm -hmm. at. So, mm -hmm. have you done any land investment or any plan to, you know, have a second or third home over there? Yeah, well, mostly. Um Excuse me. Uh, yeah, mostly uh, just doing some small amount of investing from the agricultural sectors. Uh, been helping people who have farms uh, to grow crops of, of all sorts, uh, both from food to energy resources. And uh, haven't bought any land, but I do have great connections in Senegal, Gambia area, and also in Cameroon, which my actual uh, ancestral lineages, Cameroon, Benin. Uh, but I, I have been, since I've learned that, uh, looking at uh, going to those regions to where I can, I feel like I can make a difference uh, and then uh, get engaged on the business ground in Cameroon and Benin. And then, of course, with me having my other connections throughout the ECOWAS region, that would, of course, help expand out a whole avenue of uh, opportunities. So, my Cameroonian brother, I already know some Cameroonians who will look at you and say, that, that, that we thought that was our uncle or our cousin or whatnot. <laughs> um, I definitely, I definitely. Yeah, up. You know, proud to be, uh, I found that out. And uh, matter of fact, I, I was at a meeting at uh, the Benin Embassy. This must have been about a year ago. Uh, and I was there and I, I happened to tell uh, one of the commercial counselors at the embassy, I said, yeah, I just found out that I got, uh, you know, my, my ancestral lineage has come from Benin as well. And man, he went out and came back with the ambassador and man, they came back and pinned me up. He said, welcome home, brother. They just gave me a much love, man. He said, yeah, we look forward to doing business with you. So it's going to be some great things coming out of that region as well. No, awesome, awesome. I know uh, one of our Cameroonian um, elders, um, you know, beautiful woman, but she uh, goes shopping in Benin. It's like every place, you know, Americans love to go shopping abroad because it's a better price. And mm -hmm. it's a better price in Benin than she gets in Cameroon. Whereas to me in Cameroon, I'm getting a, a, a great price. So it's right, just crazy. Right. 
you know, and, and that's a beautiful thing. Um, any, any plans to maybe, you know, take a, a pilgrimage to Benin or in Cameroon, you know, after this COVID thing, because Cameroon is going to go through a leadership change very soon. And they've mm-hmm. also been voting about, you know, are they going to allow dual citizenship because they see right. money they're losing out on. So mm-hmm. do you think you, your story would be one of those where you could uproot your family? Or are you pretty much grounded in America and will just do business in Africa? No, not for sure. I think, uh, you know, just, just living on both fronts is a good thing. You know, uh, many of us have been trying to work to uh, get ourselves linked back up with the mother continent. And since I've been traveling there, and that's been since the early 90s, uh, Senegal, Gambia was my first trip, at which I looked at as being a pilgrimage. I uh, was probably the first person uh, out of many generations in my family to be able to set foot back on in, in Africa. So that was quite an experience for me and both me and my wife and my and, and some other family members. But for sure now, uh, we're going to be looking at uh, getting another home, possibly in Cameroon or the Benin area to where, you know, we can get begin to get reconnected. And also, uh, you know, with my background working with uh, many of the ECOWAS nations through the Department of Commerce here and uh, also the D.C., uh, Washington, D.C. Chamber of Commerce, where I got, got my first experience out of. It, it's definitely opened up a, a lot of opportunities uh, to take advantage of in those nations. So, uh, yeah, definitely, you know, I'm going to be looking at investing a whole lot. Uh, and especially now with the current climate that we have here in the United States, uh, not a very promising place for African people, especially for African Americans, uh, what we have been challenged with uh, for so many years, uh, stuff that our parents had to deal with, stuff that our grandparents, and then the list goes all the way back to the early 1600s when we first come here, you know, not knowing who we were, and where we came from and all of that has changed in our day and time because uh, with the transportation, uh, transformation of information and technology, uh, as well as, uh, you know, science, it's really opened up uh, a lot of avenues for us to take advantage of getting ourselves reconnected to the places uh, and where our ancestors come from. And so I say this because, uh, one, it would help us economically on two fronts, uh, being able to operate from one nation uh, into another nation. It would give us a wide, wider opportunity to be able to have our money uh, recirculate in, in black dollars uh, a little bit more often, whereas now uh, a lot of our black dollars were integrated into uh, the system that we're in today. Uh, and a lot of our businesses were lost over the years because of that too. So it's just, it's just what it is. And it would stop and, and help some of the brain drain, you know, folks, sometimes even black folks get nervous and you start talking about black dollars and does it matter? And yes, it does. 
because it, you know it matters because when we say taking our money and going elsewhere, like Jewish people take their money and go abroad and, and Mexican folks give their money back to Mexico and Africans do it all over. When African-Americans start talking about it, people say, hold on, we need to hold on to those trillions. So they try to turn and twist that into something negative and racist because they want to, you know, keep hold. At the mm. same time, they will go invest in those same places. Mm. <laughs> and so, and, and won't, and, you know, and they'll tell you about how beautiful it is. But yeah, <laughs> folks, I think that's very important because, as you know, when you get to Africa, your money, I mean, $3,000 a month, you're, you're rich. You're, you're, a yeah, yeah, you could, you could go, it could go a long way, you know, just, just spending, depending on how extravagant you want your, you know, your living uh, to be. But definitely, yeah, money like that. And with the dollar valuation and exchange, yeah, yeah, you could stretch out and the cost of living is much cheaper. So, you know, it's very important for us to realize this in our day and time. And especially when you talk about black economics, uh, regaining wealth, uh, getting building wealth, uh, you know, these things are very vital. And a lot of land opportunities exist for us there as well. You know, just many of the nations now are beginning to offer uh, repatriation and dual citizenship and for us to be able to take advantage of that people are from ADOS, uh, African descendants of enslaved people and uh, being able to go back and claim some of uh, our rightful uh, things that we would had been destined would have been given if uh, slavery had never taken place. Yes, yes. And, and we can't go back, but we sure can build for a, a better future. And that's why, you know, uh, groups that Brother Eugene, I mean, they're not just talking and saying, give us reparations. He actually has, you know, plans. And, mm -hmm. and, and those are things, you know, all his links will be in the description box. And I'd like you to follow what he does. I, I really want to tap, though, into the money because you have a business now that to me, it seems you could live anywhere in the world. And that's a, a very important thing when we talk about, you know, being able to have a second home on a whole nother continent. Is, is, is the transportation, are your agricultural, um, is that something that you think you could have a good grips on, even if you were outside of the United States? Oh, for sure. You know, many of the nations in Africa and on the Caribbean islands, you know, they grow a substantial amount of food uh, and resources that are imported here to the United States on a regular basis and worldwide. Uh, so having a business such as an import-export business or uh, any type of business that uh, is engaged in agriculture, uh, especially sustainable agriculture and also uh, renewable energy is very important these days uh, for, you know, just clean uh, renewable energy resources, uh, manufacturing, uh, that's what we're trying to get more engaged into. So I highly encourage uh, brothers and sisters out there or people who are interested in this, those types of fields to definitely get involved, uh, get engaged. Food is a necessary resources, a resource that we're always going to need. You're always going to need something like transportation and logistics. You know, getting uh, getting yourself in a career that is sustainable itself, uh, that's kind of what you want to kind of position yourself to be a part of. And it ranges from administrative all the way up to, uh, you know, a person who's dealing in mechanics, you know, to keep this type of uh, 
system going, uh, this type of business going, you know, it's, it's a, it's an industry that is very versatile in, in what you can do as a part of it. And, and what type of money do you need to start? Because some folks will get intimidated. They'll hear all the certifications and the government people you got to talk to. And they might say, do I need to be, you know, have this or that? What type of money and also what type of, you know, preparation and timing does it take to say, okay, I have X amount of dollars and it's probably going to take me this amount of time to even break even? Mm-hmm. Well, you can start out as little as $1,200. You know, if you're just starting out on a mom and pop scale, uh, anytime you go on a travel or you go on vacation somewhere, you know, if it's outside of the United States, uh, you definitely want to look and see what it is that uh, you don't normally see here in your own community and just, you know, buy stuff like jewelry and uh, you know, trinkets that you can bring back. People will be interested in purchasing, you know, households that they can put in their house or something like that. Like, uh, you know, they have stuff from like furniture to, you know, just basic stuff, you art and accessories and stuff like that you can bring back and sell. And of course, with what you buy, buy the product for there uh, in those places, you know, way less than what you would pay for here in the States. And once you get it back here, you can mark it up somewhere anywhere between some time to three to five times uh, of, of what it costs you to buy it and bring it back here. Okay. So, you know. I can hear somebody say, okay, that's great if I had money to travel, but it's COVID-19. I've lost almost everything, but I do have my $1,200 saved. Is there mm-hmm. a way from inside the United States I can use that $1,200 to ship things elsewhere and what would be the first step? Because this is a multi-layered process. It's not just like you do one thing and then, you know, magic happens. So for someone who might've held on to $1,200, what can they do from the States um, in exporting? Well, I'll tell you, you know, um, there's a few good platforms out here, uh, electronic trading platforms that that are dealing in import, export, the import, export of goods and products. Um, one is, uh, Alibaba, which is, uh, a Chinese owned and operated, uh, platform, but it has a very broad reach, uh, across the import export, the international trade industry platforms like that could be utilized. Uh, and then I believe there's a new African trade platform that is coming online. It just come online, uh, within the last year. So I, I, can't remember the name. I think it's Jimuji or something like that. But uh, anyway, those platforms could definitely open up a wide variety of opportunities for people who want to get engaged in international trade right away. Uh, if you have a product that you want to advertise, solicit or advertise, it can be advertised on the platform. You can have put your prices up. Uh, if you have a product or a service, you know, you can tell a little bit about who you are, your company and so forth. And this definitely helped generate an income for people. You know, if you're stuck in COVID uh, on the platform itself, it has uh, logistics uh, resources that could be utilized uh, where, you know, if you had your product or you pack it up at your front door and leave it on your front door and uh, somebody like FedEx, DHL, whatever means of, uh, 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 that's offered on the platform itself, they will help you get your product from point A to B, wherever it is it may be. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, you know, I, I definitely want to do some research and find out more about that platform. 
uh, I'm not familiar with, but I could see how that platform could be connected with like uh, Jumia, which, you know, is, you know, Africa's Amazon and mm -hmm. how that could really, you know, change the game. Because when everybody's doing one thing, I want to do something different and find out, you know, where is the opportunity um, and Amazon, you know, here is, I mean, a lot of us couldn't, <laughs> we couldn't live without Amazon. It's oh, yeah, for sure. You know, we watched Amazon develop over the last 12 years. And man, it, it, who knew that uh, platforms like that would dominate the industry today, you know, between them and Walmart, the big district distributors, uh, no one knew it would be moving into that direction. But one of the things that made them uh, really stand out that uh, the retail and wholesale industry was shifting uh, to a, uh, to an electronic interface. And uh, so that's one of the things that helped propel them in a different direction. And uh, yeah, it, those are organizations uh, where uh, uh, a fine line between integrating, uh, having a balance of both human power and uh, machinery uh, definitely uh, was able to help generate more job opportunities at the same time, help streamline uh, logistics and distribution for products. And uh, yeah, so those institutions like that have definitely uh, helped uh, take logistics in the, into the future, the direction of where, where logistics is going to be headed towards. Uber is doing a great job with it now as well. Oh, yeah, Uber and Uber Freight. And those are good companies, but we're talking about Eugene's greatness. And I want to know with everything that you've, you know, done, um, what is your community give back that you do or that you want to do in the future? Because I see, like, courses that you teach. You let, you know, but what is something that you're doing or that you want to do as a community give back with your success? Well, you know, uh, since I've been in business, you know, my primary goal is to put our people to work. You know, that's where I saw the gap at back in the early 90s and had been challenged with uh, job opportunity myself. And of course, when I first started, you know, I had to get in to find out how the industry works and, uh, you know, just to get acclimated with what, what the basics are. Uh, but I learned enough where I was able to jump out myself and uh, start my own operation. And I started out as a mom and pop operation, just me and a couple of other guys. And uh, later on, um, you know, was able to build out. Uh, right now we have 12 employees all together. And over the past year have been working to develop job opportunity uh, to continue to grow in the industry in which I'm operating out of. Uh, with our farm in Guyana, we have a seasonal-based operation where it could be anywhere between 25 to 50 people or more. With me being in those regions like that, uh, we work very closely with the uh, both local and indigenous tribes uh, in Guyana, where we're able to, you know, help produce income as well as educational, as well as uh, you know, resources to help people uh, manage uh, manage their day uh, just to get income and money into their pockets. So uh, from a grassroots level, you know, we've been really grinding it out uh, for the past 25 years, 25, 26, 27 years, uh, and just been very inclusive. I've actually uh, worked as a junior professor uh, after I graduated Howard 
uh, and was teaching import exporting and trade uh, at Howard University and also uh, Roxbury University, Roxbury College at the time, now it's Roxbury University up in Boston and would travel there during the weekends. And we, I had a, uh, the same training course that I went under, went, uh, had, went under uh, at Howard University was able to then go to uh, use it as a grassroots method to help train individual people who wanted to get uh, careers, a difference in their uh, career opportunity, uh, and also just get engaged in how can you go about import exporting to make yourself an income. And that's what I've been doing, uh, you know, just trying to get it in. It's been a grind for sure. Oh, man, and you've been doing it. And you've been doing it. Can you tell the folks how, um, you know, how has the impact being your wife and business and how that has helped you or has it, you know, I've never heard someone say this, but you're more than welcome. It's like, ah, being married, stop me from doing stuff. But usually I find in my experience, being married, no matter what that marriage looks like, right? It could be Will and Jada. It could be, you know, Kellen and Tina. It could be, you know, whatever. Um, because your, your marriage is your marriage and your rules are your rules. How has that helped or define your business? Well, you know, me and my wife, uh, you know, we work as a team. And my wife is a career woman herself. She's a bank VP, vice president, and uh, I've been in banking for many years. So that's definitely been, uh, it was able to help me, especially with managing my company's affairs uh, and, and uh, from an accounting standpoint of view. But, uh, you know, uh, life is what you make it. Uh, you know, if you got a partner and you and your partner uh, have the same grind, uh, uh, what do you call it? Ethics. Uh, you definitely, you know, it makes it better for you. You know, two heads is better than one and two incomes is always better than one. So, you know, we've been able to, uh, you know, manage ourselves by helping each other grow, you know, uh, it, when we, when I first started out business wise, you know, uh, after I left corporate industry and decided to step out on my own, you know, it was, yeah, several times when, you know, I had to lean on my wife uh, for support financially, uh, but eventually was able to grow our businesses uh, to where it's, uh, you know, financially stable and to keep things moving forward to uh, uh, keep ourselves employed as well as keep others as well. Well, and, and I appreciate you being so open uh, about that because we find that, you know, we got a new generation coming up they might, you know, hit big the first lick, think they don't need anybody, and life is just going to be some big orgy. And that orgy is going to cost you, and it's cost us. You know, uh, being older, you say, man, all that time of, you know, chasing the cat, like the song, <laughs> song says. Um, well, you know why we're chasing the cat neither, you know what I'm saying? That's what you're supposed to do as a single person. <laughs> no, no, nothing wrong, because I don't want to be that. <laughs> put that same time and energy into, you know, you can have the cat, you can eat at home and eat off your own plate and build this business because there's greatness. But, you know, some folks, they, they, they're, you know, it's they, they're scared of it. And I think that mm -hmm. there's very few platforms where men can hear other men say, it's okay to be married. Yeah, it is. It is. And there's nothing wrong with it. And, you know, if you're talking about, uh, you know, family, 
community building, uh, all of that comes into play with that. And like I said, you know, with us, you know, family is, is very big to me. Uh, and uh, just having that loyalty and having a mate uh, that's willing to help grind out what we're here to do uh, in, in our time of the living, you know, is very important. And for, you know, just words of advice for young men who may be looking for a mate, you know, I, I was single once myself. And of course, sometimes it's hard, you know, you may meet several people that you may have thought that was the right one. But uh, definitely, you know, as you keep looking and as you come into knowing yourself, you kind of get a general idea of who you are as a person and also be able to share that with someone else as well. And, and that other person feel comfortable enough to, uh, to share themselves with you to help grow, grow to the next level. And that's what family is about building your family, building your community. Uh, you know, we're very Afrocentric here. So it's very important for us to know who we are as a people. Uh, and especially, you know, uh, it's been, lack of information that we know about ourselves is, you know, as uh, people of the African-American community uh, and our connection to the mother continent itself. So, you know, we see that as a way to help broadening who it is that we are and just feeling comfortable in our own skins. So, Well, well Brother Eugene, I don't want to give them a game overload because you've given them enough research where they can take this for more than a month and start looking up stuff your your information will be in the description box folks i want you to like share and subscribe to whatever platform you listen to this on because this is not fluff this is the real deal and i know if you send brother eugene an email with a serious question i would love if he had a course for you just so he doesn't get you know flooded um but he's a very kind this is how he is always He's never, you know, putting on airs. I love to see him in the hat with, with the shirt. And, and, uh, that's the sun. Yeah. You that's know. So, not everyone's like that. You know, some folks have to be suited up. Some folks will only do business in a suit. Some folks are so stuck. Well, that's how I would normally be if COVID wasn't around. But I done got into my, I got comfortable in my bohemian lifestyle now, you know. So I'm leaving here. I'm getting ready to go jump on the boat in a few minutes. Just go on out, chill for the rest of the day. You know, get a little fishing in, come on back, do some work, you know. But uh, it's definitely been a challenge because we've had to close our warehouses down and stuff like that temporarily, you know. But, uh, you know, this thing is going to come to pass, and I'm, I'm very optimistic about what's up. going to get back on this African Industrial Revolution thing because that's what I, I want our brothers and sisters to really know about. Uh, so they can get engaged uh, on the front part of it. That's where you make your money at. And, uh, of course, as uh, Ambassador Eric Canna, former First Lady Ambassador Eric Canna, Churambara Kwa, you know, as she relay information to uh, the team, then I'm able to relay it to the public as well to get people uh, engaged on what's happening out there. Well, I, I, I appreciate you. And please, uh, we both going to do a little bit of fishing now. Yeah that I'm on this side of the country. I, I have to, I got something right behind me actually. I know you do, I saw that out there in the back. I'm gonna have to bring my boat down there so we can get out there for real. I got a nice little speedboat too now. 
Oh yeah. man, okay, okay. We had to go to some bigger waters because you reckless on that little. Yeah, I know about West Palm Beach. I know about what's going on down there. Yeah, <laughs> no, I I appreciate you. Yeah. you in, invest in a ticket to Africa. We just saw Washington D.C. to Kenya for six hundred sixteen dollars round trip. Oh man, that's actually price right now. Yes, get it's like stock. Buy now so you can use mm -hmm. it later, benefit later. You know. That's what's up. That's what's yeah, up. So, As a matter of fact, I want to say this before uh, the end of the show. But yeah, you know, prior to this, you know, we're working with uh, getting a trade mission set up, and we had plans to go this year to Senegal, Gambia. We're going to go to Nigeria and and end up in Cameroon and come back from there. But after this COVID stuff is over with, uh, we're definitely going to be taking a trade mission of folks who are interested in traveling to the mother continent, whether it's for your pilgrimage. But we definitely are looking at bringing a whole slew of business people to get connected with uh, a lot of the Equus nations that we're working with there now uh, to get them on the ground, get businesses rock and rolling, get them matched up with people uh, that they can do business with, banks, you name it. We've been working with the African Development Bank. Uh, and also many of the import-export uh, banks that are in on the Equus ground and uh, want to get people tied into that, that network. And we're very serious about getting this uh, African Industrial Revolution off and running. Uh, matter of fact, they've already started in Nigeria a couple of years ago. If you get a chance, uh, you can Google uh, Echo, Echo Atlantic and uh, Echo Atlantica. And you can see some of the extraordinary construction that's going on right now. And that, that construction is going to be taking place from, like I say, Morocco all the way down to Angola on the coast there. They're trying, trying to develop the whole coast of Africa, west coast of Africa. So that's going to be a good business opportunity for us, the African-Americans, people in the Afro diaspora uh, to get engaged on. Well, this is beautiful game. You guys got the game. That's why I said I can't give him a game overload because Brother Eugene has five different things he can tell you about. And I want you to make sure if this interests you and you need more insight to, you know, reach back to him. Um, please uh, appreciate his time. Have questions clear and concise. But you guys share, like, be blessed. Thanks for getting in the game and listening to the Diversify Game podcast with Kellen, the number one show pairing entrepreneurship with diverse and inclusive perspectives like wine and cheese, bagel and locks, fish and grits. Be sure to visit DiversifyGame.com for all the good stuff. Join in the conversation and discover more content.